right, thank you for indulging me. I just had to hear that song again, man. That was so good. I didn't think about the fact that that's probably a hard song to sing, so Ashton's cussing me backstage right now in the name of Jesus, but that's all right. That's good. Man, I am excited about this series. I'm excited about this message. I'll go ahead in the interest of full disclosure and tell you I have taught today's message many times. It, it was not the intention in my heart to teach this message. Actually, I had a plan A, and when I sat down to study, plan B just kept coming back to my head. And I'll go ahead and tell you this today. The message today might not be for you. It's just one of those messages that I needed to hear today, a reminder that I needed to hear as I get ready to venture out and do some things. And over and over and over, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it kept coming back to me. And it's a perfect example of when you decide to bypass plan A and jump all in with plan B. Let me tell you a little secret about me that you might not know. I love life. I love it. I I tell people I have more fun asleep than most people have awake. I I love life. We're watching a show right now, and in the show, one of the main characters gets paralyzed And it's been heart-wrenching to watch this person in this show. And Christine asked me the question last night. She said, would you want to live if you had to live like that? And without hesitation, I was like, absolutely, I would want to live. And I just love life. I love everything about life. Is that how I would choose to want to live my life? Absolutely not. But, man, you're like, hey, you can die and go to heaven, which sounds like a great place. Sounds like a great party. I can't wait to the day that I'm in heaven. But I'm in no hurry to get there, man, because I want to maximize every single second of this thing called life. I mean, really, if you think about it, it's always, I don't want to say it's funny because I don't want to be disrespectful, but it's always been amusing to me to see people that need to use drugs and alcohol to get high. Because, man, life is the ultimate high. To get up every single day and know you cheated death For another 24 hours is amazing to me. To get up every single day and know that God loved you so much and had such a great plan for your life and such a great purpose for your life that he thought you needed another 24 hours on this earth is amazing to me. I mean, when you think about life and you think about the fact that there's literally no repeats, Everything is ad-libbed. Everything happens. There are no do-overs. Every single moment is the last moment. The second that moment is passed, there's no going back. I don't know how you couldn't get high on the ride that is life. From the day you're born, you begin to die. From the day you're born, your days are numbered and you had this this number of days to make the most out of this thing called life. And yet I sit back and I watch people literally waste their life. is mind-boggling to me. I don't comprehend it. I don't understand it. I'm not saying you're wrong if you're one of those people. I'm just telling you that I don't get it. I don't want to waste one moment of this amazing gift called life. I don't want to live one moment regretting what I could have done, thinking about what I should have done, wishing what I would have done. And one of the biggest passions that I have as a person is to see other people seize the day. Yes, along the way you are going to screw up. 
Yes, along the way, you are going to make the wrong decisions. Yes, along the way, you're going to waste some of those days. But the point is, if you get up the next morning, you have another day to get back up and conquer this thing called life. Life is literally there for the taking. And then you add the added element. And I don't want to get real patriotic here. It's not what I believe church is for. But you add the element that we live in America, the greatest country in the world, where every opportunity you could ever have to do what you want to do with your life exists. I just don't understand the wasting of life. It's mind-boggling to me. At the end of your life, the biggest regret you will have will not be how much money you made or how little money you made. It will not be how few toys that you have. The biggest regret in your life will be living a life without meaning. Living a life that didn't count. To lay on your deathbed and to know you're at your last breath and to know you wasted this one thing because life dealt you a crappy hand. Boo-hoo. You just don't know my story. Shut up. Because you know why everybody has a story. Your story's no worse than anybody else's. Someone told me that, I just grew up and my parents got divorced. Well, you and 70% of America. I just had this bad break and that bad break. Everybody has bad breaks. Very rarely does plan A go as we intend it to go. And OBTW, those who you think have the perfect all-American life. Trust me, they don't. Trust me, there's skeletons in those closets that haunt them every time they open those doors. Life is there for the taking. And I hate, I hate, I hate, and that's a strong word. I hate seeing people living life less than they can. But you know what? Living life less than what you were intended for, is sadly plan A for most people. Plan A for most people, our our default mode, is to live this thing called life and live it playing it safe. Live it worrying about what other people think of us. Becoming comfortable in our discomfort. Getting used to the routine of doing nothing. Getting up and going to a job we hate. To make money to pay for things we don't need. That we bought to impress people that we don't even like. That's the life of most people. Every day is Groundhog Day. They live plan A because plan A, our default mode in life, is not to thrive is to survive. Matter of fact, we teach our kids growing up not to thrive at life. We grow up teaching our kids to survive at life. Go to school. I think you should probably go to school, so don't interpret that any wrong, kids. Pastor Gary said we ought to not go to school. But go to school. Learn a bunch of things that you will never use again in life graduate school, 
then go to college and literally get hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to go work a job that you cannot stand to make on average in America about $43,000 a year. That is the American dream. Work your entire life till you get the age of retirement. What is the age of retirement nowadays? It's not even 65 anymore, is it? 60 whatever. It's way too long. So work your entire life for the last 10 to 12 years of your life. Hopefully you can get by on your social security and chill. If that is the goal of life, I won't know part of it. I refuse to live that type of life. But we teach our, our kids to be safe and survive and don't put themselves in any position. Don't take a risk. Man, go for the security. But as I read the book, I see nowhere in the book where God says we're to live a life of security. It'd be a life of chasing our dreams and a life of purpose and a life of impacting others. Nowhere are we called to play it safe. Matter of fact, the biggest lie that the church preaches is that the will of God is the safest place. The will of God is the best place. But you tell Daniel when he's in the lion's den that it was a safe place. You tell Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they get thrown into a fiery furnace that the will of God is a safe place. You tell the original disciples as every single one of them were killed for their faith that the will of God is a safe place. You tell Jesus Christ as he's hanging on the cross that the will of God is a safe place. No, the will of God is the best place. But safety enters nowhere in that factor. But we live our life that way because we get comfortable. We are a comfortable society. We live life going through the motions because we're scared of taking the risk. So we would rather live life knowing that there's more out there, but too scared to go after it. We live the life thinking they can't do it, and then everyone around us tells us we can't do it. Why would you quit your job? What about your 401k? You go ask some people who retired about 10 or 12 years ago how the 401k did for them. They feel guilty. We literally are so effed up in our world on th surviving and thriving that we make people feel guilty who go out and chase their dreams. Don't you have a family? Yeah. Well, well don't you have security? Well, yeah. Aren't you worried about how the bills are going to get paid? Well, yeah, I'm human. That's normal. But we make them feel guilty, and so many people miss out. We're going to hang out today in 2 Samuel, and we're going to look at one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Probably my second favorite. A couple of months ago, we did Nehemiah. Nehemiah is my favorite. But this one is slowly climbing up. It's about a guy named Benaniah, and the Bible says it's Benaniah, a valiant fighter from Cabazel, I guess, I don't know how you pronounce that. Who cares? We'll say Jasper. From Jasper, performed great exploits. Benaniah performed great exploits. And look what it talks about. He says, he struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. 
He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and he killed a lion. He struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaniah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaniah. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. You need to understand something. There were 37 mighty men that followed King David everywhere. You show me a great leader, I'll show you a great team around him. These men had given their life to make sure the vision of David happened. And amongst these, I'm actually getting ahead of myself here, but of these 37, there was three generals. The three generals ran the 37 men. But it says Benaniah was actually more famous than the three generals. People all throughout the land knew Benaniah. But he, was, he had more great honor than the other 30, so he was, he was held in higher honor than the rest of the men who followed him. But he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. There's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to read and say, man, you could read it and say, man, he did this, this, and this. He was a bad dude, but you, you miss something there. You miss the risk that was involved to get there. Later on, you'll see that Benaniah becomes the leader of David's army, the second most powerful man in all the land. But it all starts right here because Benaniah decided, I will no longer live my life playing it safe. You know why the large majority of you will never achieve greatness in any area of your life? Because you're not willing to take a risk. It's that simple. You won't get an amen to that because it hurts your feelings. But the truth hurts sometimes. You would rather live life comfortable than taking a risk. But, but if I take a risk, isn't there a possibility that I'll fail? Yes, that's why it's a risk. But failure's awesome. Failure's not final. Failure just gets you prepared for what's next. It's a learning ground. I love 2 Samuel. It's literally, like I said, it talks about the mighty men. It, it, it talks about the three generals. It talks about this cat named Benaniah who was the baddest of them all. And, and, and I love Benaniah, again, look what it says. Benaniah, a valiant fighter, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He's going to war. The two mightiest warriors come and Benaniah takes them down. That's a bad dude. But this next verse has always been, the, or the next part of this verse, has always been the verse that stops me. You've heard me preach this message before, I know that. If you've been around for any length of time. I looked it up. It's been four years since I've taught this message. That's how powerful that is. I read my Bible on a pretty regular basis. I, I feel like it would be hard-pressed to find someone who has read the Bible more than me front and back there out there, but definitely in, in my group, I've probably read the Bible more than most. It's very rare that I read something that it stops me in my tracks because chances are I've read it a thousand times. But I'm reading 2 Samuel 23 about Benaniah, and it says he also went down into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed a lion. He went down into the pit, meaning the lion was already there. Meaning he could have bypassed the pit with the lion in it and went on about his day. But he chose to go down into the pit on a snowy day. I, 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 it's just an amazing, 
part of Scripture to me. I, I don't know about you, but when the image of a man-eating beast travels through the optic nerve and into the visual cortex, the first thought that pops into my mind is plan A, and plan A is, let's run! I, I like to think I'm not the biggest wuss around. I, I like to think that I'm a risk taker. But I'm out trampsing through the snow. I see a lion. I'm sticking with plan A, and plan A is I'm running. Plan A is, oh, there's a lion down in that pit. That's cool. Let's just keep on walking. You know how I know that would be my plan? Because I've been out walking before and come across a dog. A dog is nowhere near like a lion. And my plan with dogs are do not make eye contact with the dog. Do not engage the dog. Do not reach out to pet the dog. Be ready to kick the dog if dog runs at you. That's plan A. Avoid the dog. Lions weigh 500 pounds. I can guarantee you Plan A for me would be avoid the lion. But that's not what he did. Plan B is jump into the pit and kill the lion. Normal people stick with plan A. But how boring is normal? And you know what's sad? A lot of you think it sounds great. You've been so institutionalized in your mind to just live normal. Get your cute little house with your white picket fence and your two cars and go play sports on Saturday and work your nine-to-five job for the man until it's time to retire. And it's just safe and cuddly and comfortable and boring. You're miserable. You might have even hidden the fact that you're miserable in life, but you know deep down inside there's something more to life. You know this can't be the purpose of life. Hmm. Plan A says, forget the lion. But you know what I've learned over the years? I've learned that normal is very, very, very overrated. Normal for most people and I deal with a lot of people on a one-on-one basis. Normal is living life unfulfilled. The number one question people ask is, what is my purpose on this earth? You know why they ask that question? Because they're not living their purpose. They're living normal. (laughs) Normal is working a job you hate to make someone else money. Normal is having to go to your boss and put in for a week of vacation because you only get two. Normal is being married to someone you've grown comfortable with and the passion's gone. What was I reading yesterday, Christine? And they said they had done a study and they had found a food that took away the sex drive of women. It's called the wedding cake. I thought that was kind of funny. God never called us to be normal. Oh, by the way, men, she didn't lose her sex drive. 
It's lost it for you. Because you got comfortable. <laughs> Jeremiah says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God said, I made you unlike anyone else, and I made you with a plan in mind. I made you with a purpose in mind. I made you with a hope, and I made you with a future. I made you for greatness. Let me make this clear to you. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make surprises. Mommy and daddy might have been parking and made out in the back seat of the car and surprised you came along, but God was not surprised by their surprise. God knew what he was doing. And all the mess that you've been through and all the heartache you've been through and all the misery you've been through, God says, I have a plan in that. He says, he says I've, I've got a plan to do good through you. Just for those that know to love God, life is good and things, good things happen. And he said, I, I don't make mistakes. He said, I have the hairs on your head counted. He said, he said if, I, if I feed the birds and I call the lilies, am I not going to take care of you? You think you're a failure. You think you're worthless. You think you were a surprise because you've listened to everybody else pour lies into you instead of listening to God pour truth into you. God's a God of perfection. Does it make junk? Well, I've just lived my whole life this way. Then stop. Stop. It's all I know. Well, all you know is misery because you're miserable. Don't you get sick of it? Well, I don't, someone literally told me, I don't have much long on this. I said, what does that mean you don't have long? Well, I'm probably only going to live about 10 or 12 more years at my age. That's a long time. I got to be honest with you. I feel like I have pastored this church for 73 years. And it ain't even been a decade. It's a long time. You got 10 more years to seize life. But Gary, you don't know I've done this. Who cares? You're living comfortable. Normal people. They run from lions. Lion chasers run to the roar. Plan B people chase after the lion. Those who want greatness do what other people aren't willing to do. The problem for most of us is if a lion was in a pit, we'd see a 500-pound problem. Benaniah saw a 500-pound opportunity. <laughs> Normal people take flight, but those who seize the moment jump in the pit and fight to the death. Think about this for a minute. He's walking along. He sees a lion in a pit, and he jumps in the pit. Oh, BTW, it was a snowy day, too. And he kills the lion. That's plan B living. Pulling Bonaparte said, he said, there's a distinction between two kinds of courage. He said there was regular courage, and then there was 2 a.m. courage. 2 a.m. courage was when the enemy was sneaking up on you while they thought you were asleep. He said 2 a.m. was the darkest point of every day. 
And it's easy to have courage when you can see the field in front of you. But then there's 2 a.m. courage. He said the greatest of generals had 2 a.m. courage. Let's be honest. To chase a lion is insane. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. But this one act of courage, this one act of plan B living, because again, plan A is to bypass the lion, changed Ben and I's life. To chase a lion into a pit on a snowy day doesn't make a lot of sense unless you're about to turn your resume into the king for the position as the head of his bodyguard. (laughs) Chasing a lion into a pit on a snowy day doesn't make a lot of sense unless years later you're in the running to the king for the position of commander-in-chief of the army, the second most powerful man in the world, in the land. I don't know about you, but I'm the king, and I'm looking at resumes. I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm checking them out. Boom, boom, boom. Leadership, class, training, bam, bam, bam. Knows how to shoot a gun, knows how to fight. Bam, jumps in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. I'm like, what? What? It's an attention grabber. The genealogy of his dream traces back to this flight or fight moment. It was game-changing. He could have bypassed the lion, or he can jump in the pit and fight the lion. And he went on to be more known than anybody in the land because of that. Don't miss out on this today. One decision... Good or bad can change your destiny. I believe it's true for everybody here today. One idea, one risk, one decision. You're one call away from a totally different life. And if most of you were to be honest, and I know it's hard to be honest, and it's really hard to be honest with yourself, You're unfulfilled in your life. You know there's something more than what you were created for. Because we were not created to survive. We're created to thrive. Now, thriving, let me make this very clear to you, looks different for everybody. Do not hear me say thriving and say, man, you you were created to be a millionaire. To go drive a Lamborghini, to be able to travel. I don't know what thriving is for you. I have one of my best friends in the world, the guy named Brian. Me and Brian could not be any different in life. What Brian wants out of life and what I want out of life are two completely different things. Brian is chasing his dream with his business. I'm chasing my dreams. But what success looks to both of us is completely different Because the definition of thriving is completely different. Thriving to him is operating right about here. That's a good place to operate. Thriving to me is a whole other level, boom, out of reach. I don't ever want to be able to achieve my goals. Because if I achieve my goals, then what? 
curl up and die? No. So you've got to figure out what thriving is for you. The problem is for so many people is you're stuck on plan A. You're bypassing the lion because there's a threat of death there, a threat of fighting there, a threat of messy there. Ben and I could have bypassed that lion, and we'd have never heard of him again. The decision that you've got to make, that one decision will probably be the scariest decision you ever make. But don't miss this. If your dream doesn't scare you, your dream's too small anyway. If your dream doesn't scare you, I would challenge you that it's not your God-given dream. If you think you can do your dream on your own, it's not your God dream. Because you've got to have God. It's got to be scary. I had this idea for something that I've been wanting to do for years. Big, multi-day festival, camping. I've had it for years. It's, it changes different shapes and forms, but the bones are always the same. I was talking to my mentor the day. He's put on literally some of the biggest festivals around with I mean, huge festivals. There'd be no music midtown without him as part of it. I mean, those kind of festivals. And I said, hey, I want you to help me with this idea I have. He said, I'll help you. But I'm not putting any money into it. I said, why? He said, because it might even work. But you'll lose everything eventually. I said, oh. I said, what do you mean? He said, here's what you've got to decide before you do. He goes, I think what you want to do is a great idea. He said, but here's what you've got to ask yourself. Are you willing to take every penny from your checking account, savings account, stocks, bonds? Got him fooled. I don't have any stocks or bonds. He said, are you willing to sell all your cars and all your houses and take the money from everything that you have, pile it all up in the middle of a room, Pour gasoline on it, set it on fire, watch it burn, and be okay with it. He said, because if you're not okay with that, do not chase this dream. Well, he don't know is, I'm okay with it. Always have been. Christine knows I'm okay with it. If I feel like it's what I feel called to do. Now, I'm not going to do it without her blessing. And I'm going to hope I can do it without doing that. But I'll set it all on fire before I live life always wondering whether or not it'll work. See, here's the difference between me and some of you, and I don't mean this in a bragging way, I mean it from a painful way. I've lost everything before. And guess what I found out about losing everything? It sucked. (laughs) But it wasn't fatal. Some of you think it's fatal. Gary, what would you do if you lost it all again? Well, I ain't losing that, and I ain't losing the kids, and I ain't losing it all. But guess what? If we lost everything, we'd start over. I'm not afraid of that. Some of you are. I got a father-in-law with an upstairs in an extra bedroom. He might not take me in. He ain't leaving her and the kids out in the open. I'll just park in the driveway and sleep. I'm not worried about it. Heather has sneaked me out some prime rib into the driveway. 
She might be mad and sling it at it. It might be like on a paper plate. Well, now you got your mother-in-law. That's Brandon's problem. <laughs> like, I don't care. He messed up and got his own place. See, I always am calculating the moves. Your dream doesn't scare you. It's too small. Scripture doesn't explain. I got to go. Scripture doesn't explain what Benaniah was doing or where he was heading when he chased the lion or when he crossed the lion. We don't know the time of day. We don't know his frame of mind. All we know is his first instinct was, I'm not going to run, I'm going to chase. I have a very vivid imagination, so I want you to think about this situation because here's how I visualize it. Ben and I is walking, and you can barely see because it's snowing so hard. It doesn't say that it's that way, but this is how Gary's mind works. It's like a blizzard. It's coming down sideways. Ben and I is walking to wherever he's heading, and you can see the breath freezing as it comes out of his mouth. You're walking along, and slowly out of the corner of your eye, you see something move. You can't see it great because it's snowing so hard. But instantly your muscles get tense, your pupils dilate. Oh my God, that adrenaline rushes to your chest, the greatest high ever. And suddenly you realize a lion is stalking you. (laughs) Tell me this is not a made-for-Hollywood moment. They say a lion weighs about 500 pounds and can run 36 miles per hour. He can leap 30 feet in a single bound. Benaniah doesn't stand a chance. But he doesn't care. Instead of running away from the lion, he turns and runs towards the lion. This is a guy you want leading your bodyguard. This is a guy years later you want leading your army. Normally, lion chases man, lion catches man, lion kills man. I don't know what's happened. I don't know if it was the look in Benaniah's eye. I don't know if it was the spear in his hand. But the lion takes off running in the opposite direction, and Benaniah gives chase to the lion. Benaniah can't catch the lion, it's too fast. So now he's tracking the lion through the footprints in the snow. As he comes along, he suddenly sees a space in the ground that's caved in. The lion has stepped on something, and the weight of the lion is caved in the ground, and now the lion is in a pit. I like to think, even if I was bad enough to chase the lion, the minute I saw the lion in the pit, I'd have smirked and said, gotcha, and walked away. Here's how I visualize it. I think men and I looks down, smirks, and begins to walk away. And everybody at Riverstone Cinemas is like, ah, because it's up on that screen. Then suddenly you realize he's just walking away where he can get a running start to jump into the pit. The way I would direct the movie is this. You wouldn't see anything once he jumped in. It would go black and you'd hear fighting and screaming and hollering. And they would come back on and you'd be at the top of the pit. And you would fully be expecting the lion to stick his paw up as it climbed out of the pit. 
But I would wait a second where everybody's heart could stop breathing. And all of a sudden you see a bloody hand just pop up. And Benaniah pulls himself up. (laughs) I mean, can you feel this moment? It's game-changing as he took the risk that nobody else was willing to take. The Bible says he jumped in the pit and he killed the lion. All because he was willing to chase the lion. I don't know what the lion is in your life, but here's what I know. If you ever want to live the life you were created for, you better chase it. You want that great marriage? Guess what? You've got to chase the lion. It doesn't come naturally. You want that career? You chase it. You want to make money? You chase it. You want to chase purpose? You chase it. You want to get victory over your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups and quit being controlled by alcohol and drugs? You chase it. The problem is too many of you are too scared to chase it. You don't know. Life, like someone told me recently, life sober scares me. What? But life drunk don't. I don't have to think about it. You're that weak? You'd rather live your life like that and miss out on life? I don't get it. Life is freaking incredible. And can I tell you something? Because there's some things I preach and I'm very hypocritical about, so let me tell you that. My wife will be the first to tell you that when I preach on prayer, I'm hypocritical about it. I get it. I don't have the best prayer life, and I don't have the best Bible reading life, and I'm I'm hypocritical about a lot of things. I'm smoking what I'm selling when it comes here. When I lost everything, I still knew God wasn't done with me. I knew that I still had the rest of my life to live, and I would be damned if I was going to live in someone's basement the rest of my life at 33 years of age and realize that was the time that life quit living. No, because there's lions to be chased. God has great plans for your life. I'm here to tell you, here's what I know. I don't know what it is, but I know that each and every one of you have a vision burning inside of you for something. You might have squelched it for so long, it's only embers now. But man, all you've got to do is give some oxygen, some air to those embers. And they'll flare back up. There's not a person here today, I don't care where you're at, I don't care how old you are, I don't care if you're 137 like Doug Knight, God still has a plan for your life. If you're still breathing, God's not done with you. I'm too old to start over. Or maybe you're just too old to keep living like you've been living. I always get a kick out of people that don't want to start over. Because obviously the fact that you're thinking about starting over means what you're doing ain't working. I'll listen to for another day. The only thing standing in your way is a lion. And the lion will hurt you. And the lion will slap you around. And the lion might kill you. But I think we got the upper hand. I've learned this about running from the lion. Those that run from the lion will run the rest of their life. So what do we do? First thing we're going to do is we're going to run to the roar. We're going to run to the roar. I don't know what your dream is. I I, I don't know what it is you feel like you want to accomplish in your life. 
But in every dream journey, there comes a moment. Don't miss this. In every dream journey, there comes a moment where you have to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive at the end of life safely. It's not. Quit buying the lie of the purpose of life is safety. It's not. You, go after, you have to go after your dream. You have to dream so big that it's destined to fail without divine intervention. You run to the roar. You have to go big or go home. You know how I can always tell when I got the right dream? When someone comes along and says, man, that's good, but what if we just scaled it down a little bit? What if we tried this? You have to go big or you have to go home. The dream I was telling you about earlier, do you know that I went to our city council four years ago with this great proposal and they shot it down? Most of you would have stopped then. I didn't stop. I knew it wasn't the time. And then this piece came, and this piece came, and this piece came, and this piece came. And it still might not be the time because it's very big. But the pieces are a lot clearer today than they were then. And it's going to happen. I don't know when. I don't know where. I'm going to make sure we buy an RV before it happens if I need a place to live. But it's going to happen. But to... Chase a lion, you've got to take the road that's less traveled instead of going after the status quo. Sometimes you have to bite the bullet. Sometimes you just simply have to go all in. The, the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. You have two choices when it comes to your lion. You can chase it. Or you can run and hide from it. But here's what you need to know about a lion. They're great hunters. And if they begin to chase you, they'll devour you. And they will kill you. And you will not win. The only chance you ever have against a lion is to go at it head first. Can I tell you my move when I fight? I don't like to fight because I'm not a good fighter. But I've been in some fights in my life. But I learned early on I was not a good fighter. I take a good butt whipping. I'm, I'm, that, I'm that dummy that can keep getting up. But here's my move when it comes time to fight. For some reason, dudes very rarely just start fighting. They like to stand in front of each other and talk a lot. So I learned very early on, instead of talking, my move was I would just headbutt them right then. Like literally. They start talking, wham! Now I've done it not my own self at it. It didn't work so good. But I've also won a lot of fights I probably shouldn't have won over the years by just going after the fight. I don't want to talk about what we're going to do. If we're going to fight, let's fight. Now, I don't want to fight. I don't like to fight. I like my teeth. I like my nose. I don't, I don't like bleeding. I'm a wood. I don't like it. But if i got to fight, my move is always going to be, let's just fight. Because I understand that if they get the first punch, chances are I ain't winning this fight. I'm not trained to fight. I don't know how to fight. I, ain't, I, I got some redneck up in me. I'm a lamb, but I mean, like, I don't know all about it. So I learned i got to fight first. If you're going to fight the lion, chances are you need to get the first swing in. Most of us spend our lives running away from the things we're afraid of. We run from it. Think about this. We forfeit our dreams at the altar of fear. 
or we do chase the lion. And we underestimate the lion and treat it like it's a cat. Cats are evil. A lion will kill you. At the end of our lives, our greatest regrets will be the God-given passions we didn't have the testicular fortitude to chase after. But Gary, what if we fail? So what? Like, I don't understand why we are so afraid of failure. But we ingrain it in our kids. Don't fail your test. It's the end of the world. No, it's not. You failed a test in fifth grade. It's the end of your world. Like, we don't realize the subliminal things we teach our kids. You missed that goal. Oh, my God, you lost the game. Oh, my God, he lost the game. Who cares? Who cares if you fail? He started a business and it didn't work. So what? I bet he learned a lot. I love the story. I think I've shared it before. The IBM, I was reading it. IBM hired this guy, and the guy on his first day of training made a mistake that cost IBM $1 million. Back then, that was a lot of money. I'm still a lot of money in my world. I don't know that it's a lot of money to IBM. Is there even such a thing as IBM? I don't know. Anyway, the guy goes into the boss's office afterwards and says, man, I guess I don't need to come back tomorrow. The guy said, why? Made that mistake. It cost the company a million dollars. He said, man, we just spent a million dollars training you. You better be back tomorrow. Failure's not fatal. Failure is a learning. <laughs> we, we have this mindset that failure's so awful. Failure's just a way to learn for the next time. I hate failing. But guess what? You fail. I put on an event two weeks ago. It's been a long time since I put on an event that I felt like was a failure. Felt like it was a failure. It won't happen again. Not with that event. Because I learned. I was mad. I was angry. Scott Farley came up trying to, oh, I said, I don't want to hear it right now. Go away, Yoda. I don't want to hear it. Let me be mad. You mean you're going to try it again? Yeah. Try it again. I thought I lost money on it, so I was really mad. Then I found out I made $21 on it. I've never been so happy to make $21 in my life. You're going to make mistakes. Quit focusing on them. Learn from them. Matter of fact, if you focus on not making mistakes, you'll never get your dream fulfilled because all your focus is going on being careful. You need to dream bigger than the mistakes you're about to make. I know you're going to find this shocking, but you know, I've made a lot of mistakes in starting this church. Shocking, I know. I still make mistakes. People leave over the mistakes I make. Guess what? I got over that a long time ago. People come and people go. It is what it is. The Sunday that I show up and there's nobody here, I'm like, oh, I guess I made too many mistakes. Time to shut it down. Some of you dwell on your mistakes, your failures. You live in them. You wallow in them. You just got to chase the lion. Life's full of lions. I told you just a couple weeks ago, 44 years old. Isn't it time for you to figure out what you want to do when you grow up and get settled? No. Never going to. 
I'm 70 years old. I'm going to bring Christine ideas. You know what we ought to do? Chase the lion. We've heard the saying, no guts, no glory. When you don't have the guts to go after the 500-pound lion, (laughs) we rob God of the glory of fulfilling his purpose through you. But then I ran to the roar, and he changed his life in the process. It was a defining moment for him. As I read this part of the story, you just see so many things that happens. We're going to go through these very quickly, and we're going to get out of here. Don't miss this. When you run to the roar, your dream will seem impossible to everyone else. Your dream will seem impossible to everyone else. December 17th, 1903, the Wright brothers did something that everyone told them was impossible. In Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, for 12 seconds, they defied gravity and flew a machine through the air. People thought they were crazy. Did you know the Wright brothers' family tried to have them committed to the insane asylum because they thought they could put something together that could fly through the air? They laughed at them, they mocked them. At any given moment right now, there's 5,000 airplanes flying all over the nation. Over a million miles a day, going 300 miles per hour. Because somebody had a dream that they could fly. The dream you have, the goal you have in life will seem impossible to everyone else. If your dreams don't seem impossible to others, they're probably the wrong dreams, actually. A God-sized dream will always be beyond our ability, beyond our resources. And unless God gets involved, it can't be done. That's the kind of dreams I want to dream. That's how God gets the glory. If your dream doesn't scare you, it's not the right dream. It's too small. Everything I set out to do scares me still to this day. But it scares me more to always wonder, what if? It falls short of God's glory by not giving him the opportunity to show up and show out. I've got some things I'm working on, some things that I'm meeting behind the scenes on, some things that I'm scheming on that I can't go public with, but I can't wait for those things to happen. If I told some of you what I was scheming, you would tell me it was impossible. But it's not. I've actually got my wife in a stage in life now where I can tell her, she's like, okay. Seven years ago, that wasn't the case. You know, she's lived a life of dreaming now. She's lived a life of chasing her dreams. Let it seem impossible. That's how you know you're on the right path. I imagine there wasn't one person who thought Ben and I should chase that lion, not one. I don't care how redneck you are and how much beer you had. You're not like, yeah, you ought to do that. Now, I've had some hold-my-beer moments in my life. But I ain't never had one like, yes, jump in that pit on this snowy day with the lion. Sounds amazing. (laughs) Now, if you're that drunk, you're passed out. You're blacked out. Wasn't anybody telling Ben and I to do it, but he did it anyway. So we need to realize that your dreams will seem impossible. You know something else you got to do? I've learned this about dreams that's so important. 
Inventory your history. This is good. Inventory your history. But Aniah, fighter, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two greatest warriors. He also went down to a pit on a snowy day, killed a lion. He struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Aniah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and he killed him with his own spear. You know why Ben Aniah's dream was there for the taking? Because of his history. He'd already, the Bible says, had already done, performed great exploits. He already struck down two of Moab's mightiest warriors. When it came time to be put in charge of the army, he'd already killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. He'd already snatched a spear out of a huge Egyptian's hand and killed him. He served along David for 40 years and was held in great honor. So when David died and Solomon became king, Benaniah's history made him qualified to live his dream to run the army. It's one of the first moves Solomon made. I need someone to run my army. I look at the history of Benaniah, that's the guy. Someone the other day told me, they said, I just don't feel like anybody will give me a chance. Everywhere I go, they won't give me a chance. And I looked at him and I said, why would they give you him a chance when you haven't taken any chances? Why would they put you in that role when you've never stepped out and even tried to be in that role? As you begin to discover your purpose in life and discover your dream, you're going to find this amazing. You will find it amazing how your history was setting you up for that. It was putting you in position for that. I started my first company when I was 16 years old, a comic book store. Every Saturday and every Sunday at a flea market, boom. Outgrew the flea market, got a storefront. That all high school, I ran a comic book store, baseball card store. I never thought at that time in my life, man, I'm going to work for myself the rest of my life. No, just what I did. Liked comic books. Liked baseball cards. I needed money for comic books and baseball cards. Found out if I owned a store, I could get them all wholesale and make money selling them. It's a no-brainer. My history set me up for where I'm at today. When I was 16 years old, I had a buddy of mine who wanted to start a business, and I helped him start his first business. A huge part I am today is I meet with people all the day and help them start their businesses. People message me all the time, hey, can you meet with me? I got an idea. I want to do this. My history just dictates that. I grew up with a dad who had a passion for music. The first time I ever met him, he began to introduce me to some of the great musicians. My dad to this day loves music. He goes to hundreds of concerts a year. My dad took me to my first music festival. No burned out hippie guy. Loves music. It's funny, almost all my life now has to do with putting on events that have music. I'm not a musician. I'm actually, I was telling Rich Ward today, see, I took guitar lessons for a year one time. I couldn't play kumbaya right now. I don't know anything about playing a guitar. I have no musical talent. Like, like, uh, you're going to think I'm trying to be funny here. I'm not. Like, I sing so poorly that it makes my own ears hurt. I'm not kidding. Like, alone in my car singing, I will sometimes be like, wow, that's so bad. Like, it's so horrible. Like, it's horrible. I joined the high school, the middle school band, where I could be in the high school and play the drums. 
third practice in, I grabbed the band teacher's butt. She was a female. Someone dared me. I grabbed her butt. Needless to say, my band career was over. So I tried, I always tried to play an instrument. It didn't work out. And now almost all my life is putting people in a position where they can do their musical talent. Ain't that funny? The history just dictates it. Just works itself out that way. I put on events my entire life. The first thing I ever did when I moved to Canton, first thing I ever did when I moved to Canton, 16 years ago I moved here to start church. You know the first thing I did? In Brown Park, only did it one year so no one remembers it. I put on the Canton Music Fest. All day music. I didn't know anybody in town. And then did a 5K race. We called it the rundown of sundown. I said, let's do a night race. We had thousands and thousands of people in downtown Canton. We announced we were starting a church from that. It's always a start event, so it just comes natural. Now I'm in a position where I support my family through putting on events. What I'm saying is, your passion, your dreams, well, your history will have always set you up to be part of that. As I'm taking the next steps, my history affirms my movements. Christine's getting ready to step out and do some things and chase some dreams of her own. Some incredible things. What's funny is her history lays the groundwork for what she's about to do. Seven years ago, she had bought into the lie of living comfortable. It brought her security, having a nine-to-five. That's all she knew. Buying the BS of everybody in her life that said, this is what you got to have. Now a normal life would scare her to death. Now she's the one coming to me with ideas. Why? She's got a taste of freedom. Freedom in living life by her own rules. Inventory your history. I guarantee it's setting it up for what the passion is in your life. Last one, this is so vital because you think we're building your own dream, but this is so important. It's called learn and return. Serve the dream of others. Serve the dream of others. Don't miss this. Benani, at the end of his life, becomes Solomon's leader of his army. You know why he became the leader of his army? Because for 40 years, Benaniah served Solomon's dad. He served someone else. He served the dream of King David. And by serving someone else, it put him in a position to live out his dream. So many times our dreams are woven together with the helping of others. We've got a group of people I talk to that are all out starting things. I'm starting things and we all just share ideas and we share premises and we share things that we've learned. And we serve each other. Benaniah helped David fulfill his destiny as king. Therefore, David helped Benaniah's dreams come true to lead the army. When that crown was passed from David to Solomon, Solomon knew the only person to put in charge was Benaniah. Don't miss this. Your greatest legacy is not your dream. Your greatest legacy is the next generation of dreamers you inspire Serve the dream of others. I have people in my life with dreams I love serving them. I have people that, I don't mean serve me like serve me, but people that have served alongside of me. There's nothing those people could ever do. Kristen Cash or Faye Voiles or Darren or 
any of these people. I don't want to start naming names. I forget people. If they ever came to me and said, we have a vision to go do this, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make everything happen to make that happen. You know why? Because for years, they've served my vision, helped me fulfill my dreams. It's called learn and return. You pour your life into someone else, and you'll see your dreams come true because a God-given dream is never a selfish dream. A God-given dream in some way, shape, or form is to promote the kingdom of God. I tell people all the time I'm not in the invent business, I'm in the community building business. Because I don't believe it's good, the Bible says it's not good for man to do life alone. People need community. Anything I do is to create community. You can never go wrong serving the dreams of others. Ben and I have learned this. It opened doors for him. Here's the deal. I don't know God's will for your life. I'm going to get out of here. I don't know God's will for your life. But I know you'll never live it following plan A, the safe life. Plan A is for losers. Plain and simple. Plan A is for regret. Plan A is for wishing what could have been. Plan A is always that because plan A is our natural instinct. Plan B, though, whoo, when plan B becomes plan A, when you take that risk and you jump in that pit with that lion, then you can start living your life. So my question is, what are you called to do? What's the purpose? What is the area in your life that you, you know there's a lion? Again, is it, is it professionally? Is it relationally? Is it emotionally? Is it mentally? Is it financially? Is it physically? I don't know what the lion is. But you do. Because you've been hiding from him for years. Today might be the day that he fell into the pit. And I get it's not perfect conditions. It's not sunny and shiny and you can't just climb down there. It's snowy. You might slip going in. But the lion's in the pit waiting for you to kill it. Or you can keep living life scared. Don't affect me. Let's pray.